And so the first thing we start with is the curses. And so it's basically going to be a sandwich. Now, normally in the business world, they teach you, if you want to give positive reinforcement, you give them a compliment sandwich. So say something good about them, then the negative thing, and then with, this is the opposite. <laughs> this is a curse sandwich. <laughs> in chapter 27, verse 15, 14, it says, The Levites will call out to every Israelite with a loud voice, Cursed is the one who makes a carved or metal image, something abhorrent to Yahweh, the work of the craftsman, and sets it up in the secret place. Then all the people will say, Amen. Now, what does the word Amen mean? The word Amen means true. Or in a modern day sense, it'd be true that. Okay, or for reals. So, it's Amen. That is true. Cursed is the one who disrespects his father and mother. Then all the people will say, Amen. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's boundary marker. Then all the people will say, Amen. Cursed is the one who misleads a blind person on the road. And then all the people will say, Amen. Cursed is the one who perverts justice for the resident foreigner, the orphan, or the widow. Then all the people will say, Amen. Cursed is the one who has sexual relations with his father's former wife, for the dishonors his father. Then all the people will say, Amen. Cursed is the one who commits bestiality. Then all the people will say, Amen. Cursed is the one who has sexual relations with his sister and daughter, for either of his father or mother. And then all the people will say, Amen. Cursed is the one who has sexual relations with the mother-in-law. Then all the people will say, Amen. Cursed is the one who kills his neighbor in private. Then all the people will say, Amen. Cursed is the one who takes a bribe to kill an innocent person. Then all the people will say, Amen. Cursed is the one who refuses to keep the words of this law. Then all the people will say, Amen. That is not the entirety of the law. It is not meant to be the entire law. In the ancient world, a lot of times they would pick laws here and there scattered throughout to represent the entirety. They've already just went through the entirety of the law. And so the idea is that God picks a few commandments out and he has them say it. And the way that the Jewish mind works is that when you invoke one verse, it's to remind you of the greater context. And that's important for you to understand. Even in the Second Testament, when people like Paul and stuff are quoting verses, they're not quoting that verse. That's a trigger verse for the entire context. And so it's um, the idea is that you, you know the entire context, and they don't have chapters and verses. So if they had chapters and verses, they say, remember Deuteronomy 33, 4. And everybody would be like, yeah. But the, what they do is they say verse, and that verse triggers the entire context. And that's what you must understand. Is like a lot of times we, we just do memory verses. And I'm all for memory verses. This is an anti. But memory verses are only valid in their context. And there's a lot of kids who memorize verses and they have no idea what it says. Or they don't know what the greater context is. And so the reality is memory verses are meant to trigger contexts, not be a verse unto themselves. And so what God is doing is he's picked out a few laws scattered through and the point is that by quoting these laws, they're to meant to trigger the laws in entirety. And so it's as if they're saying, cursed is the one who, and they list all the laws that God could have ever given. And they know that mentally, but they're saying something verbally to make themselves consciously think and intentionally think about the law. Now, what does it mean to be cursed? Curse is a complicated word. Um, Curse has a couple ideas. First, curse, there's what's called active judgments and passive judgments. 
active judgments is when God comes down on them and like sends the lightning bolt down and kills them. Or he sends a plague and it starts wiping everybody out. He actively comes in and physically does something to them. There's passive curses where God basically just withdraws and you're on your own. So it's like the police force failing to show up, the fire department failing to show up, and your security system goes down. And that's a passive curse. So the idea is that nobody shows up to protect you. And that's what we see in Romans. So we see prophets, and we see Egypt, and we see all throughout the Bible God actively cursing people, where he actually punishes them physically in some kind of way. The book of Romans, we see where God says, because they pursued unnatural sexual behaviors, and they pursued idolatry, God gave them over. And the God giving them over means that he just basically withdrew and said, you don't want me? You want to do your own thing? You prefer these kind of things instead of me? Fine. You're on your own now. And the idea is when you're on your own, then you realize how much life sucks and you want God back in your life and you turn to him. And there's times where you've got to do this even as a parent. It's like, okay, fine. I've done everything I can, physical discipline, timeouts, whatever it is, actively is not working. You're on your own now. And as they flail, then they realize, okay, I'll change. And so that's the idea. So God does different things. Depending on the person, depending on the situation, we see both active and passive. Now, passive is not negative. I know a lot of times we think of passive as being a negative way of parenting, but that's not negative in this context. And so these right here, these curses are active. When we get to the second curses, the other part of the sandwich, those are more passive. And so these are active curses. So the other form of cursing is where God does do something to you. And so these curses are, a lot of these sins is if you do these, you are punished under the law. It usually means your death death penalty, or it means some kind of fine, or it means being cut off from the community, being kicked out in some kind of way. And so the immediate individual punishments are usually active. So if you as an individual violate the law, there's going to be some kind of active punishment. Death penalty, excommunication, some kind of fine, kicked outside the camp for some reason, whatever. But when the community as a whole continues to fall away from God, usually the punishments become passive. So as individuals, it's active, 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 active. And then if they continue to sin as individuals, eventually the entire community will become corrupt. And then the entire community will fall away from God. And then God begins to withdraw and say, I'm no longer with you. And so here he's giving you a sampling of the Ten Commandments. And he's saying, you will be cursed. There will be something that will be actively done to you for violating these laws immediate consequences. Now, in chapter 28, we come to the blessings. Chapter 28, verse 1. If you indeed obey Yahweh your God and are careful to observe all his commandments I am giving you today, then Yahweh your God will elevate you above all the nations. All these blessings will come to you in abundance. 
If you obey Yahweh your God, you will be blessed in the city, blessed in the field. Your children will be blessed as well as your produce of your soil, the offspring of your livestock, the calves of your herds, the lambs of your flocks, your baskets, and your mixing bowl will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come into in and blessed when you go out. Yahweh will be Yahweh will cause your enemies who attack you to be struck down before you. They will attack you from one direction, but will flee from you in seven different directions. And Yahweh will decree blessing for you with respect to your barns and everything that you do. Yes, he will bless you in the land he is giving you. Yahweh will um, designate you as a holy people, just as he promised you, if you keep his commandments and obey him. Then all the people of the earth will see that you belong to Yahweh, and they will respect you. And Yahweh will greatly multiply your children, the offspring of your livestock, the produce of your soil and the land, and which he promised your ancestors he would give you. Then Yahweh will open for you his good treasure house, the heavens to give you rain for the land and its season, and to bless all that you do. You will lend to many nations, but will not ever have to borrow. Yahweh will make you, you the head, of not the tail, and you will always end up at the top and not the bottom. If you obey his commandments, which I am urging you today, be careful to do, but you must not turn away from all the commandments I am giving you today to either the right or to the left, nor pursue other gods and worship them. So that sounds really good. That's like the American dream right there. Yahweh pronounced these blessings. The first part emphasized the internal blessings that Yahweh of his people would give them. So he focuses on the internal first, the abundance of crops, the abundance of children, healthy children, healthy crops, healthy animals, basically all those things that we want, and so that they would have a full and meaningful life. And then the second part is he emphasizes the, the strength and the vitality of Israel externally, that enemies would not come in and threaten you. Your borders would be secure. And so he emphasizes twice the internal blessings. He starts with that and he ends with that. And then he protects your borders. The idea that enemies will attack you from one direction, but they'll flee in seven. Meaning that they're fleeing, they're bouncing off of your borders will be far greater than any kind of attack that came at you. And he will give you abundance. And notice how he invokes this and says, so that the people of the world will respect you. And they will see how great you are, and they'll want to become a part of it. This is the Abrahamic covenant of Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, where God says, I will give you a land. So we see that here. Crops, healthy, protected borders, all that kind of stuff. I will personally bless you. You see that. Healthy children, healthy animals, healthy crops, an abundance of all these kind of stuff. Personal security from your enemies. And then he says, and I will... Curse those who curse you. That's the protection of the borders and that kind of stuff that you see in Genesis chapter 12. And then he says, so that you will be a blessing to the world. And you see that here. So all he's doing is reiterating the Abrahamic covenant on a practical level. And then he's also reiterating the garden because that's exactly what they had in the garden that you'll be fruitful and you'll multiply and you'll be in this garden and that kind of stuff. So he's taken the garden 
and the blessings of Abraham. He's bringing together into the law and saying, this is how you re-experience the garden all over again. This is how. And these are very, very, very practical. Very practical. This is basically life. It's everything that we want. Healthy, happy, protected, safe. And what the most important word here that keeps getting used all throughout the Bible is abundance. Abundance. The ability to enjoy life. And so the idea is that the land is really producing this kind of stuff like this. Then your stress level goes down, your workload goes down, and your enjoyment and your ability to just enjoy, relax, rest, and partake goes up. And that's exactly what God is promising. If you remember the Sabbath, then you will experience rest. And that's what he's promising them. And then notice here, and I think this is also an important phrase, notice where this is coming from. Even though the land is producing all this stuff, God makes it clear that I will open you my good treasure house, and I will pour out from the heavens the rains. And that makes it very clear that even though that's growing up from the land and the children are coming out of your body physically, this is really truly coming from Yahweh. He is all, and that's a, I think that's a cool, I will open up my treasure houses to you. I will write you a blank check, basically, for my bank account because I want to. And I will pour out the rains. And remember, rains are essential. Because the rains is what brings the crops and the animals, which produces healthy food, healthy people, and then healthy children. And only God can control the rain. And this is exactly why you put them in Israel. If they're obedient, the rains come and they're blessed. If they're not, the rains don't and they're not blessed, which means they're completely dependent upon God. In other countries like Mesopotamia or Egypt, they could still have abundance without obedience. But God picked a land that was abundant, but also it was abundant because of rains and not because of a river, which makes them dependent upon him. And so there's a relationship in this blessings as well as an abundance in this blessings. And that's very important to understand. This is not just abundance and it's not just a relationship. They're intricately connected and tied together. And so that's the blessings. Now, hold on. We're getting to the curses. The curses are a reversal of the blessings. His section is four times longer. It is dark. It is depressing. Verse 15 of chapter 28. But if you ignore Yahweh your God, and are not careful to keep all his commandments and statutes I am giving you today, then all these curses will come upon you in full force. And that is the opposite of abundance. I will give you abundance if you're obedient, but if you're not, then these will come upon you in full force. You will be cursed in the city, cursed in the field. Your basket and your mixing bowl will be cursed. Your children will be cursed, as well as the produce of your soil and the calves and your herds and the lambs of your flocks. And you will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. Basically, is no matter, just like the blessings, no matter where you go and what direction you're moving, you're going to be blessed. 
But if you disobey, no matter where you are and what direction you're going, you're going to be cursed. Yahweh will send on you a curse, confusing you, imposing you in everything you undertake until you are destroyed and quickly perish because of the evil of your deeds and that you have forsaken me. Yahweh will plague you with deadly diseases until he has completely removed you from the land that you are about to possess. He will afflict you with weakness, fever, inflammation, infection, sword, blight, mildew. These will attack you until you perish. The sky above your heads will be bronze, and the earth beneath you will be iron. And Yahweh will make the rain of your land powder and dust, and it will come down on you from the sky until you are destroyed. That's the first curse. (laughs) These curses are going to be five levels. And the first level will happen. And the idea is if you don't start obeying God after you get the first level, then God gives you the second level. If you continue to disobey God, then he gives you the third and the fourth and the fifth. And so the fifth is exile. This thing ends in exile. So the first level is this. They will be severely affected with disease and blight within the land and the rain will stop. So if the land is no longer producing life and health, then that usually results in sickness and mildew and disease. I love that mildew is part of the curse. Like, <laughs> and mildew. The sky. Now, this, the sky will be bronzed. Now, these are metaphors. Bronze, remember, is a symbol of judgment because bronze is the, only, is the metal in the ancient world that can handle the highest temperatures of fire, and fire is connected to judgment. And nothing can get through bronze. And the land will be iron. I mean, nothing can get through that. So when we get to like Nebuchadnezzar and the chapter 5 of the book of Daniel, he has a dream of a tree and the tree is Nebuchadnezzar and God cuts down the tree and then God says he's cutting down the tree and then he's putting a bronze band around the trunk because nothing can grow through it. Trees can grow back, but nothing can grow through a bronze metal band. And so the idea is that the sky and the land will be sealed with metal, iron, bronze, and no rain and no crops will be able to get through. It's the complete opposite of, I will open up the treasures of heaven and pour them down upon you abundantly. So the first thing that God will do is the land will basically begin to die. The land will be basically begin to die, which is exactly the first curse that God gave them, that toil will now will be a result of the curse of being kicked out of the garden. And then, not only will the rain cease so drastically that it will be almost like dust is falling on you. The rain, it will become so dry that it will feel like the rain is dust. And basically, it's just everything, the dust will be kicked up all the time and be in the air. And we know that. We know now, through lots of studies, that if all of our crops start dying across the U.S., then there's nothing to hold the soil together and and everything becomes a dust bowl. And that's what God is basically saying is going to happen. So that's the first level. You can recover from that because all God has to do is start sending rains again. And when we get to Chronicles, God says, if my people get on their knees and humble themselves before me and repent of their sins, then I will forgive them and I will send the rains. That's all it takes to undo the curses. It doesn't take works. It doesn't take 
magical incantations, rain dances, any kind of child animal sacrifice to get this happen. All it takes is you fall on your knees, you cry out to God, you repent of your sins, and the rains just start coming, and this thing can change drastically. So this is the first level. It's harsh, it's devastating, but it's quickly fixable if they just repented. So that brings us to the second stage. If they don't repent and they continue in their stubbornness and they continue in their disobedience, then they enter into the next stage. Verse 25 of chapter 28. Yahweh will allow you to be struck down before your enemies and you will attack them from one direction but flee from them in seven directions and will become an object of terror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your your carcasses will be food for every bird of the sky and wild animal of the earth, and there will be no one to chase them off. Yahweh will afflict you with the boils of Egypt and with the tumors and eczema and scabies and all which cannot be healed. Then Yahweh will also subject you to madness, blindness, confusion of mind. You will feel your way along at noon like a blind person does in the darkness, and you will not succeed in anything you do. You will be constantly oppressed and continually robbed with no one to save you. You will be engaged to a woman and another man will rape her. You will build a house but not live in it. You will plant in a vineyard but not even begin to use it. Your ox will be slaughtered before your very eyes but you will not eat of it. Your donkey will be stolen from you as you watch and you will not be returned to you. Your flock and your sheep will be given to your enemies and there will be no one to save you. Your sons and your daughters will be given to another people while you look on in vain all day and you will be powerless to do anything about it. And as for the produce of your land and all your labor, a people you do not know will consume it and you will be nothing but oppressed and crushed for the rest of your lives. You will go insane seeing all this and Yahweh will afflict you in your knees and on your legs and painful incurable boils from the soles of your feet to the top of your head. And Yahweh will force you and your king whom you will appoint over you to go away to the people whom you and your ancestors have not known and you will serve other gods of wood and stone and there you will be an occasion of horror and a proverb of an object of ridicule to all the peoples to whom Yahweh will drive you. You can just stop right there. I'll repent. (laughs) And so the second level is Israel will be attacked and plundered by their enemies. They will lose their freedom and their security. And we know this is the logical conclusion. This is God pulling back. So God is doing two things. One, he is no longer blessing the land. And two, he's no longer protecting the borders. Remember, that was the two blessings internal blessing of the land, and borders protected. So once he takes his hand off the land and the other hand off the borders, you're on your own. You're on your own. And we know that if your crops and your produce and your output ceases, your economy collapses. And when your economy collapses, you become a target of attack for everybody around you. And so as everybody begins to attack you and take everything that belongs to you, it's because no one's protecting you anymore. You rejected your security system. You said, screw you, God. I'm going to do my own thing. I don't need you. And God says, fine, if you think you don't need me, then I'm done. 
And then when the enemy comes and you realize you can't protect yourself, you realize that you do need God. And so the enemy comes in. Once all this stuff happens to you, the enemy is attacking you, they're taking from you, they're killing your people, and they're taking things that you build, then you're going to start going insane. Mental illness is going to start coming into your land. When you're physically malnourished and all this stress comes into your life and bad things happen, then you're going to go insane. You're going to go mad. You're going to get sick. You're going to have all these mental problems. And this is illogical. This is a logical progression of just life. Now, here's what you must understand. This is life without God. This is what, see, this is what God is saying. And this is very clearly shown in Samuel chapter 8. When they say, we want a king like all the other nations. God says, you want a king like all the other nations? Fine, I'll give you a king like all the other nations. His name is Saul. Which means... God says, I'll give you Saul. Now, he gives Saul a chance to be different, to not be a king like all the other nations. And Saul doesn't. And then God says, fine, I'm withdrawing myself from you. You want a king like all the other nations? Kings like all the other nations depend upon themselves. They never go to God. They never trust in God. They completely go to their own resources all the time. And when Saul is a king like all the other nations, all he has is himself. And he is not sufficient to handle everything. And all this crap starts happening to them. And you know what the scary thing about this is? This is all of our leaders. And I know there are some Christian leaders in there. But overall, all they have is themselves and their advisors. And they're running nations. People are running families without God. And that's what the curse is. This is the scariest thing about it at all. The curse is that God is not with them, which means all they have is their resources. And when the world comes at you, your resources are not enough. And we even know, even really wealthy, powerful people, it's enough for a while, but eventually something happens. Enron. Economic collapse, the housing market collapse. Eventually, even the most powerful, wealthiest, most intelligent, capable people, eventually something happens and they lose everything. And every decision that you make and every resource you have is now completely yours and yours alone. And you have no God to go to. And that's the real essence of the curse, is you're completely on your own. And where most of the world celebrates that, God sees that as a curse. Karl Marx calls it a crutch to need God. God calls not having God a curse. And so they're completely on their own, and this is what happens. The enemy will now begin to attack them. So the first stage is their land falls apart. The second stage is the enemy comes into their land and begins to oppress them within the land. Now we come to the third stage. Verse 38, you will take much seed to the field, but gather little harvest because the locusts will consume it. You will plant vineyards and cultivate them, but you will not drink wine or gather in grapes because worms will eat them. You will have olive trees throughout your territory, but you will not anoint yourself with the olive oil because the olives will drop off the trees while still unripe. You will bear sons and daughters, but not keep them because they will be taken into captivity. Whirring locusts, 
will take over every tree as the produce of your soil. And the foreigners who reside among you will become higher and higher over you, and you will become lower and lower. And they will end, lend to you, and you will not lend to them. And they will become the head of you, and you will become the tail. All these curses will fail, fall on you, pursuing and overtaking you until you are destroyed. Because you would not obey Yahweh your God by keeping his commandments and statutes that he has given you. These curses will be a perpetual sign and wonder with reference to you and your descendants. So basically, God, they will lose their covenant relationship with God. If they continue in disobedience, the land will no longer produce. If they continue, the enemy will come and oppress them. And if they continue, then their covenant will come to an end. The relationship will die out. And their land will completely die. See, the first stage does not say that all death will come yet. The third stage is when it says you will literally, it won't produce anything. Nothing will be produced. And so basically the third stage is the first and second stage to its final conclusion. To its final conclusion. 